at the end of the transaction that ultimately it was sold for $3 billion to somebody else. And each of the employees on average got $175,000, which was incredibly meaningful to them. And, um, and it was a win. How much more successful would you be if you had lunch once a week with insanely successful entrepreneurs who share their biggest secrets on how they think and achieve success? Grab your seat at the table, because this is Business Lunch with Roland Frazier and Ryan Dice. Welcome to another episode of Business Lunch. And today's a snackable episode with Roland where he's going to get into some more tactical strategies that you can start using to live a rich and happy life. If this is the first snackable episode you're hearing, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to some of the other episodes that Roland has put out. And if you want to get notified every time we release a new episode, go to the new businesslunchpodcast.com website and we'll send you detailed notes along with every episode. That's businesslunchpodcast.com, www.businesslunchpodcast.com. And you can sign up for the free email newsletter where you'll be able to get all the highlights and resources from the episodes. Hey, everybody, Roland Frazier and Ryan Dice here with another issue of the Business Lunch Podcast. Ryan, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. So is it an issue of it? Like it, like we're with this a print podcast? Yeah, it's a, it's a, or is it's an a print podcast. We print, print this podcast, yeah. And send it or is it that we have issues? Yeah, well, I mean, God knows we have issues. Yes, personal yeah. business, so many. But that's what makes this an interesting show, right? <laughs> oh yes, oh yes. No, I, I'm doing great. I actually just got back from uh, doing another round of college visits with my oldest, who's going to be uh, heading off to college next, uh, um, you know, in the fall. And so that's nice. always uh, fun, but bittersweet. But um, Man, what a pain in the butt. All that stuff is just. Man, I keep trying to get my kids to go back to college and just stay somewhere far, far away. And it doesn't yeah. work. No, I'm just kidding. Um, that is, that's cool, though. It is a very exciting time. I remember when I was leaving for uh, law school and moving across the country and my mom was crying, you know, as I was leaving with my U-Haul truck piled full of all my stuff. Um, it's a, you know, probably less for guys and more for for moms, the, that separation, I would guess. But uh but it's a, it's a thing. Yeah. Other than that, uh, life is good. Life is good. How about you? Yeah. Everything's going well, busy, but uh, I feel like it's been busy since October and it's not stopped. Uh, and it's good and bad. Like it's great because it's busy and there's lots of stuff going on, but you know, I'm, uh, I'm looking forward to finding some little break in the, uh, in the activities. Yeah, where is this like freaking laptop lifestyle that I was promised? I mean, I've seen the late night infomercials and the uh, the the TikTok and Instagram influencers, and um, man, we got like these companies and they're all doing really really well. So, you know, I need my I need my laptop on the beach kind of thing. This is this, I is, think, this is garbage. I think you would hate that. I'm actually pretty yeah. sure you would. But yeah. um, I, I, there are two answers to that. One is that I find that most of what I do is on a laptop, so technically. While right. I am on the laptop for, I don't know, 72 hours a day, it is a bit of a laptop lifestyle. It's just a question of the mm. timing that, that needs to be adjusted. The and second thing is, I'm guessing that uh, most people don't have not only a portfolio of companies that they're involved in, but also they're constantly doing new ones. I think if we said we're done and we were just going to let the existing portfolio go, then it would be kind of easy breezy and we'd get bored pretty quick. But, but the fact that we have so many things you were just calling me uh, earlier saying, you know, where's that agreement for that deal? Right. It's, it's cause we're doing stuff. Right. So yeah. I think that's it. If we just stopped doing so much stuff, 
But when you love what you do, um, it's really hard to do that, right? Yeah, I'd be bored. I mean, you're right. I mean, I say all this completely sarcastically and tongue in cheek because I'd be bored out of my mind. I do think it's important, though. A lot of people have this image of entrepreneurs, especially for some reason now, because the holding companies, I think you've largely popularized a lot of this stuff, holding companies and doing acquisitions. And everybody says, oh, you do this and then you don't have to work anymore. And I never say that, by the way. <laughs> oh, no, I know you don't. Honey, yeah. you don't, but that is, it is said. And, and I think, unfortunately, a lot of people believe it. And it's unfortunate for two reasons, because one, it's not true. And two, it's no freaking fun. So um, anyway, all that being said, uh, life is good. Things are busy. That's kind of the goal. That's, that's the plan. Um, I love it. What are we talking about today? So um, I sent you over, I don't know if you had a chance to look at it, but um, there was uh, an, an article that uh, came out in the news about uh, what KKR is doing through one of their companies. Um, they found Who's this, KKR for those who don't know? I'm sorry. KKR is uh, Colbert, Kravit, Colbert Kravis and Roberts, I think, or Robertson. Anyway, it's a big P, it's a big PE company. We've sold companies to them in the past. Um, they're very well known in that world, PE being private equity. Uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm uh, jargon constrained today. Sorry about that. I was like, been in this. Uh, so anyway, they buy and sell companies, right? And um, they're always trying to figure out how can they make more money. Um, there, there was a lady who was working at a company called Project Equity. And Project Equity was intended to, it was a nonprofit, uh, the opposite of what private equity companies are interested in. But she was working at this nonprofit helping companies transition. I thought this was actually interesting because there's, a, there's all these baby boomers who are aging out and companies that are passing. And so she was really kind of targeting those companies to help the employees of the companies acquire the interests of the owners that were retiring and anyway, and doing it in a way that they would then be able to continue the legacy of the company, but also their employment and, you know, keep it from going into the hands of somebody that maybe, you know, wouldn't treat them the same or whatever. And I, so, so she was going in the hands of a mean, nasty private equity group, for example. Yes. 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 Uh, and so she actually um, was a law school graduate and a smart person and everything. And she was reading and there was a paper that was published by somebody from KKR that said, look, my theory is that we make more money if we give equity to the employees. And that's not something that private equity is typically very fond of because they, they're in and out. They're, they're there to flip the company. His thesis was, I bet we make more money if we go in and we get buy-in from all of the employees and we let them participate in some part of the equity. And if we do, and they work harder and the company sells for more, we'll actually make money. It'll be free to do that. We'll be doing a good thing. Win, win, win all the way around. So um, they ended up working out a deal where she came to a new company. Um, I want to say it's Ownership Works, something like that. But um, it's, it's its own company. And the company is working to help this happen in private equity deals. Um, but I believe it is for profit now. I don't know one way or the other. I don't think they said. So the idea is that if in deals that private equity, and I think they said they've got about 25 firms that are private equity companies that are like now enrolled to participate with these guys. So, um, so there was a deal that they did. And the deal that they did was with uh, just kind of a classic acquisition. It was, a, I think, a, an overhead door company. 
And in that deal, the employees, the hourly employees that were making less than $100,000 a year um, were given somewhere between 4 and 6% of the equity in the company. Now, we'll talk about kind of split, what the terms split up are. between them all. That 4 to 6% was a pool split up between. They didn't each yeah. get 4 to 6%. Yeah, each of the 100 and some employees got 4 to 6%. I'm not sure how yeah. they worked it out, but yeah, yeah, exactly. And yeah. so I um, wanted to make sure that we clarify these things for some of our listeners you. who may be like, yes. oh, I'm going to go and yeah. execute this right away. Everybody gets 4% of business. I have nothing left. So anyway, <laughs> at the end at the uh, at the end of the transaction that ultimately was sold for three billion dollars to somebody else, and each of the employees on average got one hundred and seventy five thousand dollars, which was incredibly meaningful to them, and um, and it was a win. The return on investment for the private equity company and its investors was ten times their investment. So I'm guessing they paid three hundred million for it, and um, it was the best return that they had had on a deal since the heyday LBO, you know, uh, salad days of the 1980s. So they were they were happy with that. Um, I, I was reading along here the Venetian Resort um, that I guess Apollo was another firm that uh, purchased. The company said the equity for each employee. There's about seven thousand employees there, and each of those employees will end up with uh, with about. $10,000. And then um, it looks like there's another one. Simon & Schuster was purchased by this same firm, KKR, uh, last year. And management is going to do uh, do the same deal there. And, and they're setting up websites where, and I think this is actually important, um, they're now setting up websites so that the people can track the value based on a hypothetical exit of their shares. So it feels like they're getting stock in a publicly traded company, even though it's private. So that's the the overlay. What are your thoughts? Let's talk about your thoughts generally on equity for non-executive team members and um, and then what you think about something like this. Yeah, so just if somebody wants to, if you're listening to this and you want to go read the article, it's in the New York Times and the headline we'll is, yeah, we'll drop a link, but it's private equity is starting to share with workers, comma, without taking a financial hit. Uh, and the reason I mention that is because I'm not sure I agree with the premise. It's not true. Right? They are taking private a equity is, is starting to share without taking a financial hit. You know, I just come back to the whole like so. My, my thoughts on this in general, and we talked about this in previous episodes. In practice, and and you and I have done this a number of times, and we've seen it done a number of times across hundreds of different businesses. I've never seen, nor have I ever experienced, giving equity to non-executive employees being anything that 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 drove anything other than kind of confusion and entitlement. It certainly didn't drive growth. Uh, it certainly didn't motivate people. Uh, and I would argue that if they are, you know, get a significant windfall at the end, it might even make it harder to sell the business if they realize if the if the buyer realizes, holy crap, all these people are going to be gone. So I got a, I got a couple of problems. So that's my thoughts in general. In terms of this article, um, feels to me like Classic New York Times um, communist propaganda. Um, just going to throw that out there if you want to know my bias on things. Uh, I would also say, uh, number two, correlation does not equal causation. So when they're like, this company um, did this and they had this amazing result. Well, that's great. I'm really happy for all involved, but we don't know the counterfactual. It's yep. not like we can go and experience um, you know, an alternate universe where they didn't do this to find out if the results 
you know, we're, you know, we're any different. So my experience is that this kind of stuff doesn't work. Um, the, I think the example they use are correlations, not, you know, they don't prove any causation uh, in any of this. And the part, and it was at the bottom, but I was, I was skimming the article and um, they talked about how, uh, you know, the message doesn't automatically resonate with employees. And the quote was, take Terry Andres, who worked for three years as a sales manager at Colson Group, a manufacturer of casters and wheels. When Blue Wolf Capital acquired him, the company announced the equity sharing plan. But Mr. Andres found it difficult to discern how much it would be worth and when the employees would get their payout. It wasn't an effective way to motivate the people who supervised, he said, and wasn't enough to keep him from leaving when another company offered higher pay. It's very nice. I appreciate it. But for me, just tell me exactly what I can work towards. Yeah. And that, to me, I think sums up the employee mentality. Like most of the people who work, and I don't mean this, by the way, to disparage them. They've got these things called lives outside of work. And I think this is incredibly difficult for entrepreneurs um, and for top level executives who so much of their life and their identity is wrapped up in their work. We can't imagine what it is like to be someone who just wants to show up, who wants to do great work, work with great people, have a great experience, produce a great product or service, and then go home and live their lives. And what they're looking for is not these amazing upsides if something happens. What they're looking for is a greater degree of certainty and security. I do think what you said, that my favorite part, if you're going to do this, the fact that they're gamifying it by being able to show people Here's a hypothetical of what it would be worth. I mean, I think that helps. I think there's two problems. One, it sounds like a liability. A massive yeah, liability. it does to me too. It really does. Crap. Like this is hypothetically what we're worth. And now somebody's going to go and make a whole bunch of purchases based on that. It doesn't come true. And you want to talk about people hitting the freak out button and running to the exits. Tell somebody, allow them to see like the, the value of this stock that they've been given in this private company, um, how do they respond when it tanks? Because it will. I mean, imagine all these companies that did, that did this type of structure back in 2001 and 2002. And then you go this year, we're just, everything gets marked down because everything got marked down. And now they're mm-hmm. seeing like, oh gosh, I thought that this was worth, you know, 220,000 and now it's only worth, you know, 120,000. Well, that's still a lot of money and it was still just given to you. But all they saw is that they lost a hundred grand. And so, I don't know, man. I'm not buying it. That's my take. I'm not buying it. Yeah. And so, some of the things that that uh, that you want to think about would be in like in an ESOP, there is government supervision of what's going on, uh, looking after the employees. What's an ESOP, by the way? Uh, sorry. East employee Stock Ownership <laughs> Plan with um, with those kinds of programs um, or with you know, even when you have equity, you normally have voting rights and things like that. These employees don't have that. Um, I believe that they lose it if they're not there. So you would also run the risk potentially of somebody terminating employees they didn't like before an exit. That's These aren't issues that are novel, by the way. It's just things to think about. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, ultimately, you're making a bet with equity of the company. I believe the headline is deceptive because it clearly costs them uh, ultimately, the argument is that the unproven case study tells us that possibly you might get more if you do this. That's a lot different than how to create a win for employees that doesn't cost you anything, in, in, in my opinion. Um, so I think it's just, I think it's interesting. 
Um, yeah. It'll be fun to see if there's some data that comes out about it. I don't think I'm going to rush to argue that we should do that in our portfolio companies. I know that you're a strong advocate for this, but I'm going to I'm going to say I think that maybe you should change your mind and and not do this, right? I'll tell you what I'm a strong advocate for. I'm a strong advocate for those who have the ability to move the needle and to to directly, you know, add value and who are motivated by by doing it. Yeah. Um, I'm 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 all for allowing them to participate in some way. Typically, not direct equity. You know, you and I have talked about this in the past. We love phantom equity um, structures. We love uh, profits only interest. You know, kind of structures where it's it's not true equity, but they're compensated like that. But I think I just think it's so important and I to acknowledge that not everybody's motivated in the same way. And yeah. where somebody might say that, you know, you know, oh, Ryan and Roland, you're just you're just greedy. Um, you know, you're you're unwilling to give, you know, equity and, you know, in your business to people. Well, number one, it's not greedy to say, I don't want to give away something that's mine. Like, that's not greedy. We don't ask other people to do that. We don't say, you know, if you do, we typically would call it charity. So um, the reason that you would do this in a business context is because it's going to drive a positive outcome for the business and its, and its stakeholders. Um, and so I think what it is, is it's, it's arrogant to assume that everybody is motivated the same way. And I would much rather come up with, with payment, um, with compensation structures that get people what they want, which is I'm going to work really, really hard, do an amazing job, and I'm going to get a check today. Not yeah. some mystery monopoly money down the road when and if we sell. That yeah. just, to me, feels like, it, again, it, it, I think you get, and they even said in here, I think the, the direct quote was, um, uh, Mr. Stavros acknowledged that you know, private equity you know, has problems. This gives workers a rare, you know, a rare chance. Um, but is, is it a direct result of the program? It's hard to say. Um, helps with morale and involvement. They I like they said, we don't argue that perfect data. We, need to well, we don't need perfect data to believe in this. Uh, well, I mean, so, okay. So we, we just want to do this. We're going to, we're going to, uh, we're going to go with anecdotal evidence. They, yeah, they, they said that, that at the end of the day, the gist of it is that this is more of a PR play than it is anything else. So, yeah. you know what? I'm fine. Call it that, but let's not mm-hmm. pretend like we're, you know, Robin you know, Hood. don't like this, this is some noble thing that you're doing. No, this yeah. is another PR move to try to get around all the like the bad PR that, frankly, a lot of private equity companies rightfully have, which is when they swoop in, they do cut a lot of jobs. They create yeah. efficiencies in ways that aren't always popular. Yeah. But I don't know that this is the way to get it done. So I'd yeah, pass. I think this is a great bit of PR on behalf of the job. Kudos to their PR team um, for getting this pushed through. Um, I ain't buying it. Yeah, I, I think I, I align with you on that. Obviously, one of the reasons we're business partners, I, I feel like reward people for the thing that they do that increases the value or profits of the company, reward them with cash, measure it not indirectly by some blanket plan that rewards everyone. I just th- I think that, like I said, that's communism and it doesn't seem that it has been very successful in most places. So, um, so that being the case, figure out a comp plan that says, here's the comp that you get if you do this. I know I learned when I was uh, long ago, one of the first companies that I started out in California, um, I would give Nordstrom gift certificates to the employees as bonuses. And um, and then 
one day I asked, I said, I said, how do you like that? Cause I was very excited about it. Cause I was shopping at Nordstrom and I was like, you know, cool, you know, maybe a chance to get something at a place that you wouldn't normally shop and all that. And, uh, I got basically told and I was very disappointed, but I got it. We'd rather have the cash. And, uh, you know, what you do is you're giving us, you know, a gift certificate for a place that has expensive stuff that we don't wear anyway. We can't afford it if it's more than the gift certificate. Most of the stuff we want is more than the gift certificate because these were $50, $100, $200 gift certificates. And um, so thank you. But could we have the, could we just have a cash? And I was like, yeah, that, that makes sense. And that that's, I think, what's going on here. I think you pointed out really, really well. And there are so many ways to compensate people for their direct contribution to the company that don't require blanket equity things that create liability and loss of, you know, loss of ownership for you that uh, I'm, I'm, I'm leaning against this one also for the, all those reasons. So yeah. what do you guys think? We would love to hear your feedback on this. So in the comments, if you're watching this on YouTube, uh, or if you're listening to this, feel free to reach out to us and let us know on the socials. And uh, if you like this kind of stuff, share it with a friend and uh, we'll see you next time on Business Lunch. Hey, Roland Frazier here. If you're looking for a way to grow your business exponentially, to get more customers and ultimately increase your wealth, there's no faster way to do it than to acquire other businesses that already have the customers, products, services, teams, and media that you want. If you want to double your sales, just acquire a company that has the same sales as yours. It sounds simple, but far too many people end up starting new businesses that fail and forget that they could skip all the hard stuff and just acquire one that already exists. There's a reason why private equity firms, family offices, big companies like Apple, Google, and some of the smartest entrepreneurs on the planet do not start new businesses from scratch. They acquire already successful businesses. And when they do it, they instantly increase their sales, their profits. If they want market share, they increase that. They can get new products and services to offer all instantly. Hey, look, 90% of new businesses fail. 90%. Why not acquire an already successful business and increase your chances of success by 900%? What most people don't realize is you can acquire highly profitable businesses with no money out of your own pocket in pretty much any country in the world, regardless of your credit and without having to go find a bunch of investors or needing any experience. Look, I've been acquiring businesses for over 30 years now, and I cover the whole process in my epic investing strategy training, and I want to give it to you 100% free. Just visit businesslaunchpodcast.com forward slash epic to get your free access to my epic investing training right now while it's available.